From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, February 25th. One of the things that I think the Honduran government, but also other governments, not just in Central America, but around the world figured out was that under Trump, if you gave the U.S. government what it wanted, which in Central America was deterring migration, you could get away with a lot at home. That's Kevin Seif, the post-Mexico City bureau chief. And he's been reporting on how foreign leaders have to pivot when a new U.S. president takes office. In this case, Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez. So the Trump administration basically had one priority in Central America, and that was stopping migration. And so one of the ways they tried to do that in Central America was signing agreements with the countries in the Northern Triangle, so El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. Now, when an illegal immigrant is arrested at our border, they can be sent to a neighboring country instead of into a U.S. community. Prior to my getting here, countries wouldn't accept them. They would say, no, no, no. I said, well, you got to take them. So basically, it created a kind of buffer where asylum seekers had no right, effectively, to seek asylum in the U.S. And instead, they were, they were told to seek asylum in other Central American countries. And what the Trump administration managed to do was they convinced the presidents of those three countries to sign deals allowing for asylum seekers to be sent back. Anyone who studies migration at all, on either side of the spectrum, acknowledges that this deal was bad for migrants, you know, and pretty clearly a violation of human rights. But the way that Juan Orlando Hernandez saw it in Honduras was, this is what the Trump administration wants. This is a priority of the United States right now. I'm going to do it to remain in their good graces. Kevin spoke to producer Alexis Diao about why Honduras and its president are so willing to play ball with the U.S. on migration policy, no matter who is in the White House. And what's in it for him? I mean, like I can see from former President Donald Trump's perspective, you know, who took a hard lawn in immigration, who wanted to, you know, lower the number of people who are coming into the states. That makes sense for making a deal like this. But for him, I mean, outside of staying in the good graces of the U.S., why would he make a deal like this? So first, I think one thing to think about when you think about the relationship between the U.S. and Honduras is that from the Honduran perspective, it is a deeply important relationship. It's important for a lot of reasons. There are a huge number of Hondurans who live in the United States. Around 20% of Honduras' GDP comes from remittances sent from migrants in the U.S. And U.S. politics have a huge impact on basically everything that happens in the country. It has a huge impact on the amount of drugs that flow through Honduras. It has a huge impact on who the leader of the country is. And so Juan Orlando Hernandez, early on in his political career, He recognized that. He knew if he wanted to be a successful Honduran politician, he was going to have to become an ally, a close ally of the United States. And then when the Trump administration arrived, he basically said, whatever way in which you want Honduras to try to stop migration to the U.S., we are game. So while Honduras was negotiating these agreements with the United States to deter migration, they were also dissolving their anti-corruption agency. There was a very controversial election in 2017 that Juan Orlando Hernandez won that the Trump administration backed. 
the other reason, and this is really kind of the backdrop to everything that's happening between the United States and Honduras right now, is that Juan Orlando Hernandez's brother was convicted of drug trafficking in the United States in a federal court. And Juan Orlando himself is mentioned as a co-conspirator. So basically, the U.S., while they were negotiating deals, migration deals with Juan Orlando Hernandez, another part of the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, had implicated him in drug trafficking and using the Honduran government apparatus to traffic drugs. And so it's quite clear that the Honduran government was not only you know, trying to make the U.S. government happy because they're a close ally, but that Juan Orlando himself was very aware that the U.S. government was potentially on, on the way to extraditing him. And he was doing whatever he could to, as one State Department official told me, to get out of the Department of Justice's noose. But when you say that the Honduran president was using Honduran apparatus to traffic drugs, I'm just trying to imagine what that actually looks like. So one of the things that is mentioned in these um, Department of Justice indictments is that the Honduran security forces were effectively used to protect drug trafficking organizations, even to protect the, the drugs as they moved north through Honduras. The accusation is really one of outer complicity when it comes to the trafficking of drugs from Honduras to the United States. One of the indictments, actually the most recent one, said that according to a witness, Juan Orlando himself said that he wanted to, quote, shove the drugs right up the noses of the gringos. Wow. So the accusations, and again, these are accusations, are pretty bold. And they make a very clear connection between the Honduran state and, and drug trafficking organizations. And we should be clear that these are very serious allegations against the president that he denies and that he hasn't been charged by any U.S. federal prosecutors. They're very serious. And there's also there's this sort of deep irony, which is that Honduras has an extradition treaty with the United States. And the person who pushed through that extradition treaty was Juan Orlando Hernandez. And so... The greatest threat to him right now is that, you know, after his presidency ends in exactly a year, he could be extradited to the United States under the treaty that he himself put forth. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Last month, before the U.S. changed administrations, President Juan Orlando Hernandez set up a Zoom meeting with Kevin. Yes, for... What did you guys talk about? So, you know, I've been covering Honduras for the last two and a half years. And, you know, I've, I've, be, I've been in touch with the Honduran embassy in Washington, people in the Honduran government back in Honduras. And, you know, it's felt to me that over the last few months, they've been increasingly interested in, in kind of trying to present themselves to the new administration, to the Biden administration. And I mentioned, you know, seems like a pretty interesting moment for him and a pretty interesting moment 
for a foreign leader who's so you know intimately involved in in U.S. foreign policy. And he very quickly suggested that I come to Honduras and spend some time with him. Okay. Bueno, muchísimas gracias. And I'm very aware that part of the reason why he wants me to come is because he's interested in presenting his his administration in a good light to Biden. He was very eager to tell me how he has a good relationship with Biden. They'd worked together when Biden was vice president. Is that true? Yes. Biden was very closely involved in, in crafting this development plan in Central America aimed at slowing the migration, particularly of unaccompanied minors. And so Juan Orlando at that point had worked with Biden on, on some of those programs and some of these reforms. But of course, it's way more complicated than that. So I landed in, in Tegucigalpa and you know, pretty much immediately was taken to the National 911 headquarters. Like where all of the, the 911 calls are fielded. That's the very first place that you were taken to? Yeah, that's the first place. And I think that there were a couple of reasons why. One, um, you know, they were really eager to show me all the work they're doing to secure the country, the way that the crime rate has gone down under the current administration. But also it, it happens to be like the brainchild of the foreign minister who I was there to meet. So he showed me around and you know, there were these huge screens showing kind of like a million different cameras all around the city. And then we sat down and we started talking a bit about the, the kind of bigger questions that I was there to answer, which is, you know, how is this Honduran government, how are they going to forge a relationship with President Biden? Este, I would like less instead, no? Okay. Do you mind if I, I think I can better ask my question, this question in English, my Spanish. Okay. I'm just and what did he say? The answer I got was not what I was expecting. He, he sort of said, Which is more we, we don't have a preference. We don't have a preference. As long as we have an open dialogue, uh, we, we like to express our concerns. You know, we have no real preference in terms of what U.S. immigration policy looks like. What matters is that we're able to find some way to maintain their relationship. So you spent about a week with President Juan Orlando Hernandez and his team. Did the issue of these allegations against him of being involved in drug trafficking, did it come up? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think he knows that if a reporter comes from the United States right now to interview him, the question of his alleged role in drug trafficking will come up. You know, it was sort of like a, a little bit of a dance around those topics and initially, you know, where there, obviously there are other things going on in Honduras, other things that he wanted to discuss. You know, they're in the middle of a pretty dramatic recovery from two major hurricanes last year. Hurricane Etta, the Category 4 storm, battered homes, pried rooftops away, knocked down trees and power lines, and caused devastating flooding in the region. But, you know, we both knew that we were going to have to talk about what these drug traffic allegations meant, uh, and he was going to have to respond to them. It's difficult to understand. Because the fiscal listen to assassins confessors. 
he has said this before, like to just dismiss them outright. You know, these accusations are absurd in his in his telling. For example, la DEA, in una visita que yo tuve a la oficina de ellos que me invitaron. Why would a president who's been so strong against drug trafficking, who's been so willing to partner with the DEA, with the State Department to combat crime, to combat drug trafficking, why would that that same president traffic drugs himself? It doesn't make sense. You know, that's that's sort of like the major argument. La verdad, para ser sincero, son alegaciones de criminales confesos. And then he'll also explain how, you know, a lot of the, the witness testimony in the U.S. court system that's now being used against him came from drug traffickers. And so how, how, can, how can, you know, we consider that testimony to be legitimate, to be reliable? But he knows, and we talked about this too, that even though there are only allegations right now, you know, even though there, there aren't even official charges against him, it is absolutely a crucial detail in his new relationship with the United States, with the Biden administration. The Biden administration is going to have to figure out how to navigate a relationship with a president who's accused of drug trafficking, but is still the president of a country that is a major U.S. ally and really important both in U.S. migration policy and U.S. security policy. So he's in a very precarious position because... I mean, with only a year left to his term, he could very well be facing, is it too much to say he could be facing jail time? No, that's that's absolutely like the, the question hovering over, hovering over his presidency right now. He's mostly protected from extradition to the U.S. because he's a head of state and a head of state of a U.S. ally. But the moment he's no longer president of Honduras, it's very easy to imagine him being charged and then extradited to the United States. Is there anything about your trip that you found surprising? You know, I hadn't entirely realized this before I landed in Honduras, but, you know, these accusations against the president in an American court are obviously really important to the U.S.-Honduras relationship. But I hadn't entirely realized until I was there the sort of domestic political impact of, of these indictments. So, you know, there, there was one day when we were driving, the president actually was driving his own his own car uh, into one of the neighborhoods that was really devastated by the hurricane. The roads were totally flooded. The houses were not entirely destroyed, but almost unlivable um, when we were there. And the president was going kind of door to door, greeting people, handing out supplies, talking about what the government was going to do to get them back on their feet. At that moment, he could have been basically any president in any post-hurricane region. And as he was talking to people, I was kind of like going behind him and talking to them after mm. he left, um, because obviously, you know, they're going to be more candid once the president's not within earshot. And there was one guy who told me, he's kind of standing in his doorway. The watermark was still like basically close to the ceiling. He was sleeping on the floor. He had no mattresses. And I asked him like, what, what's life like here? You know, like, 
what is your experience with the government in this neighborhood? And at this point, the president was probably standing like just out of earshot, maybe. And the guy, without even without even blinking, was like, "Oh yeah, this place. There there is no government presence here. You know, the only security we have is the security that the gangs provide us." Wow. Yeah, I mean, and again, like t- to hear someone say that who has literally just shaken the hand of the president is pretty jarring. Um, but the point he was making, I think, is a really important one. There is just absolute distrust and in some cases, real loathing of the government in Honduras. That mistrust didn't begin with the U.S. implicating President Hernandez in drug trafficking. But the fact that the U.S. is now, or the Department of Justice is now accusing Hernandez of being a drug trafficker, it certainly doesn't build trust with people like that guy, for example. You know, as we transition from President Trump to President Biden, I think there are a lot of questions about, you know, what's going to change. And when it comes to immigration, it kind of just feels like a big question mark. I mean, it feels like we're not really sure how a lot of things are going to be resolved because there were so many changes over the last four years. Do we have a clear sense of how Honduras is going to play into the administration's plans when it comes to immigration, or even if we know whether or not President Biden is planning on keeping Juan Orlando Hernandez in good graces? You know, it's, it's such an important question, but it's also, a, it's a really complicated one. You know, one, one of the days I was with President Hernandez, we were flying in a helicopter over the city of San Pedro Sula. And right beneath us was a migrant caravan that was going to leave the next day. So thousands of Hondurans who were planning on fleeing the country, either because they didn't feel safe there or because they felt like there was just no future for them there. You know, Honduras is important to U.S. immigration policy in part because there's just an endless flow of people who feel like they have no choice but to leave that country. I talked to the people who were about to leave, about to sort of begin this very, very long journey walking towards the United States. And almost all of them mentioned the president by name when they explained their reasons for leaving the country. You know, you never have no work and the president, he never helped us, you know? So that's why, and we have a lot of, a lot, a lot of problem here because... You know, one of the reasons why he's so important and so divisive is because from a lot of people's perspective, he's the reason why so much migration exists. And yet at the same time, when the Biden administration tries to develop an aid package in Honduras that potentially will improve the economy so that people feel like they don't have to leave to get jobs in the U.S. or to improve security so that people feel safer, they're going to have to work to some degree through President Hernandez, through the same guy. So he's a part of U.S. immigration policy in terms of the kind of what the push factors, the reason why people are leaving, but, but also in terms of what the U.S. will have to do to diminish migration from that country in the first place. So what's your big takeaway from this story? One thing I I realized reporting this is that Trump foreign policy and Biden foreign policy seem really different. 
and we, you know, as Americans are, are watching this kind of major change happen. Today I'm going to sign a few executive orders um, uh, to strengthen the immigration system, building on uh, the executive actions I took on day one to protect dreamers and uh, to end the Muslim ban and to better manage our borders. If you look at it from a foreign leader's perspective, I think it's there's a real kind of sense of whiplash. And that's that's one of the things that I that I saw happen in Honduras is like this government just try to navigate this impossible uh, this kind of 180 degree turn that's happening in American foreign policy. The other thing I, I was really struck by is just how complicated U.S. policy is going to be in Central America over the next few years. You know. The U.S. is going to have to work with some with some leaders in, in Central America that it has serious doubts about, but that doesn't mean that it can just walk away from them. And trying to strike that balance, you know, trying to trying to push anti-corruption measures, you know, trying to make sure there isn't electoral fraud, trying to hold leaders accountable in Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala, while also spending four billion dollars in development aid is not easy. And that's a balance that the, the Biden administration is going to have to find. Kevin Seif is the Mexico City bureau chief for The Post. Alexis Diao is an editor and producer for Post Reports. The story was edited by Ted Muldoon. Since entering office, Biden has issued a number of executive orders changing course on U.S. immigration policy, including undoing the asylum deals that the Trump administration struck with President Hernandez. On Tuesday, an anti-corruption bill was introduced in the Senate, urging that Hernandez be held accountable for the alleged crimes related to drug trafficking and human rights abuses. And that's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com and join the conversation online using the hashtag postreports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.